Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. Hello from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. My name is Dan Gladman. In a former life, I was the TV producer for the Toronto Raptors game broadcasts, and in this vast country, I was lucky enough to be in the producer's chair during the 2019 NBA Finals. You're listening to Season 2 of my podcast, Jim Rats and Joints, which is produced by my longtime friend and my new business partner, Dan Wong. I always wanted to do a podcast or be on the radio, and I have a chance for my voice to be amplified. Here I am. You can subscribe and follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and Acast. Don't forget to rate and review us. A nicely articulated Positive Vibrations review would be much appreciated. With the turn of the calendar into June, I'm excited about a lot of sporting events opening up in Canada, especially the ones pertaining to basketball. The Canadian Elite Basketball League will open up on June 24th, and the first nationally televised game will be on June 26. The Hamilton Honey Badgers will be in Edmonton to face the defending CEBL champions, the Stingers. That game will be on CBC across Canada, and I'll be in the producer's chair. From there, I'll be going to Victoria, British Columbia for the first time in my life to produce the host broadcast games of the Olympic qualifying tournament, a last chance effort for squads to find their way into the Tokyo games. And yes, I do believe the Tokyo games will take place. With the way the NBA playoffs are going, Team Canada's prospects are getting better and better as more and more players from the accepted invite list become available. First, I got to do something I like to call this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. The Twitter hashtag for this is hashtag T-D-I-T-R-H. So check it out. June 2nd, 2019. It was game two of the NBA Finals, incredibly and historically being played at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. The Raptors had won game one and were looking to take a commanding lead heading to Oakland for two games, but the Golden State Warriors had other ideas. The Dubs started the third quarter on an 18-0 run and the Raptors never recovered. Still playing without Kevin Durant, they relied on Clay Thompson for 25 points on four of six from three. Even DeMarcus Cousins had himself a game going for 11-10 and six, and Andre Iguodala hit a dagger at the end after the Raptors mounted a fourth quarter comeback. Kawhi Leonard had 34 for the Raptors, and Fred Van Vliet scored 17 off the bench, but no one else really did much for Toronto. The final score was 109-104, and off to California we went. Series tied, one apiece. Two years ago today, this has been this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Check out hashtag TDITRH on Twitter, as well as our Twitter account, 
at Jim Rats Podcast. When I grew up in the 1980s in Toronto and the surrounding areas, such conversations could never have taken place. Basketball was barely even a fringe sport here, and sports on TV barely had a place. Hockey night in Canada and a midweek Maple Leafs game was about it, an alpine skiing. I discovered the Blue Jays probably on TV in 1982 with Don Chevrier and Tony Kubek calling the games, but even that was hit and miss. You had to turn to CJCL 1430 on the AM dial to really know what was happening in baseball. But there was a show, a late night program that shared a glimpse into the future of sports TV. It was rare that I could get to stay up late, but if I did, the TV was dialed up on Global, where I would watch the historic, unprecedented, and epic Canadian show, Sportsline. Mark Hebsher and Jim Taddy were the hosts, the first sports anchors I ever saw, and not only did they zip through the day's sports results and highlights, but they did it with a flair and a pizzazz that a young child would be witnessing for the first time. The sports coverage was great, so was the attitude. As I've learned happens so often in the sports world, you do meet your heroes and you work with them. I would meet Taddy in the past decade when he became host of the Raptors pre and post game show on TSN radio. But Hebsey, who was a true inspiration to a Jewish boy who loved sports, would come into my life earlier. My first job out of university was at CTV Sportsnet in 1999. And there I was years and years from watching him on Sportsline. And now, as a guy rolling teleprompter, watching him work live. Mark Hebsher was the veteran, the star in the earliest days of Sportsnet, and I was working alongside him. This is many years ago, of course. Since our Sportsnet days, Mark was a sports anchor on CHCH in Hamilton and currently hosts the hard-hitting and amazing podcast, Hebsey on Sports. I highly recommend you check this out on Spotify, Apple, or watch it on HebseyOnSports.com and YouTube. This show's hard-hitting approach is an antidote to Canada's bland TV sports scene, and he's not afraid to praise teams and athletes, nor bash teams and athletes. That goes for TV presenters and the media as well. After, after listening to his most current episode, I wonder what he may have had to say in the past about my basketball TV productions. Mark has also written a book called The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of, basically showing that he can do it all when it comes to sports coverage. It's with this sparkling resume that I'm thrilled to welcome Mark Hebsher to Jim Rats and Joints. Mark, it's awesome to have you here. In the back of my mind, I've always hoped to work with you again, and I still do. But interviewing you really is something of a boyhood dream. We're going to talk about your career, sports in Toronto, and a little bit of music. I think we have to start, though, with the Maple Leafs' loss to the Montreal Canadiens this week. The Leafs and Habs were meeting in the playoffs for the first time since 1979. Toronto took a 3-1 lead, and, well, the expected happened. Montreal came back and won 4-3. Hebsey, are the Leafs cursed? Yeah. Yeah, they are. There's no doubt about it. You can't get away from the ghosts of the past. And so it's going to take some type of monumental effort by management, by the players, just some coming together because I, I, you know, in the foreseeable future, I just don't, I can't imagine a Toronto Maple Leafs team making it 
to the finals, never mind winning the actual Stanley Cup. That's just bizarre to think that way. Whatever they seem to have tried doesn't work. And um, I think, I mean, I was out the the day of game seven, uh, out and about. I did an actual interview with Montreal Radio and I told them this. I said, I've never seen so many people so afraid to watch the game. You should be looking forward to watching the game. You should be looking forward to the excitement that it's going to generate. But if you can't take the ups and downs of a professional, any sporting event, get out, get out of here. This is what you sign up for. It's not going to be smooth sailing, five nothing victories all the time. You have to be prepared for losses and the way they occur. And so I think Toronto kind of expected, you know, once it got to game seven, they, they, they were resigned to the fact that even if they would have beaten Montreal, it would have been too painful a victory. That's the way I look at it. It's, if it's painful for you, don't watch. But I mean, they, <clears throat> they did some kind of a poll where they said, are you going to be enjoying tonight's game? And like 75% of the people said, no, I'm going to watch, but I know I'm not going to enjoy it. What's, what's all that about? So if we're cursed and the fans feel this way and there's no genuine enthusiasm that this team that you put on the ice and the management that's making the decisions is going in the correct direction, spending the money the right way, you just open yourself up to incredible criticism. Seven years for Shanahan and Dubas. What have they done? They haven't gotten out of the first round. What do this, this market more than anything else wants to get out of the first round? Even if the Leafs would have beaten Montreal and lost to Winnipeg in the second round, at least they beat Montreal. They won a round of a legitimate playoff series. And the Columbus series from last year, you know, that's not that far away. It wasn't that long ago. And so you have to go, wait a minute. It's been how long since Marner scored a goal? And how much are we paying Matthews? And, and all those things. You're paying four guys um, 85% of your salary cap. So, no, I, I won't stand for it. People already aren't standing for it. And no matter what these guys have to say, it's going to go in one ear and out the other ear of the fans who are like, they've had it, they're fed up. And I find that I'm more of a fan of certain players or coaches than I am the actual team. Because when the team keeps having players that we don't want that guy and we don't want that guy, and look at the turnover on this squad. After a while, it's like, you know what? I, can't, I follow his career. I like James Van Riemsdyke. I liked him as a Leaf, and I still like him as a Flyer. I like him. Uh, I like Connor Brown. I always liked Connor Brown. I'm a big fan. So when Connor Brown does well, I'm, I, I remember him when he was a Leaf, and I'm like, I'm a fan of his. Do you find that? I find that with players. They played for your team. <clears throat> then they, <clears throat> excuse me, they leave. But you're still fans of theirs. And pretty soon you're looking at your own team going, I don't like him. I don't like him. But I like that guy. And I like that guy who used to play for us. That's me. I, I hear you. And I, I agree with you that there is a curse there. And I don't know what they're going to do to dig themselves out of it. I mean, you're, you're, you're now heading towards a future where you're going to be saying things like it's been a hundred years since the Leafs won the cup, like the, like the Chicago Cubs went through Hebsey, let, let's shift it to basketball. Let's go back to 2019, the championship season. Were you surprised by what you saw? Not so much with the team actually winning the championship, a team that says Toronto on the front of its Jersey winning for the first time since the Jays in 93, but more so did you always know that basketball would take a hold of the heart and soul of Toronto and Canada the way it did? Oh yeah. I knew it. If enough people are exposed to it, 
And um, however they um, are introduced to the sport, and that's another thing is everyone's introduced to it differently. I didn't have the luxury of being able to flip on the computer or TV and watch an NBA game at any time I wanted to. I mean, had that been the case, wow, basketball would have exploded way before it actually did. And so, you know, I, I mean, I was exposed to it. Um, my uncle took me to Buffalo to watch a high school kid that he had been. My uncle was sort of not a bird dog scout, but he loved um, U.S. sports. He loved American high school sports because they started paying attention to players in high school. Where in Canada, never, you never had that really, maybe a junior hockey player. And so he, he subscribed to magazines like Scholastic America Basketball, where you'd get these recruits out of New Jersey. Les Caden was this one guy. I'll never forget. He showed me the magazine it was in the 60s. I was a kid. He said, look at this kid. And there's this kid here from Bennett High School in Buffalo. And let's go see him play. So I'm 10 years old, and he takes me to Buffalo to see Bob Lanier score 55 points or whatever it was against Hutch Tech in Buffalo. So now I became interested in sort of the Buffalo basketball scene because it was nearby. My uncle was into it. So I saw Calvin Murphy play at Niagara. Um, but my first basketball hero was a guy named Routens. <laughs> George Routens was eight years older than Leo. I had no idea who Leo was, but George played for St. Mike's and he was an amazing player. And I lived around the corner from Brebeuf College School, which is around Steeles and Bayview. And it was a pretty new school, but they had a basketball team and they had a football team. And I would go to their basketball games. It was right across the street from my house and watch George Routens and Larry Utek, who was the football player at Brebeuf, but also played basketball. And these two, I watched these two guys from 10 feet, 15 feet away banging each other, clobbering each other, you know, hand-checking. Man, it was more than that. No autopsy, no foul. It was really good Catholic league, you know, Catholic school basketball. And I, and I was a fan of George Routens. And then when he went to Niagara, my uncle and I went and saw him play in the little three tournament. He was a good player. So when, later when I heard about Leo, I was like, oh, he must be George's brother. Um, but man, George, I, like I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. And he was 18 or something like that. And I just was, I, he was my hero. I had no picture of him, no t-shirt of him, nothing like that. And that's my introduction to basketball. It was a neighborhood thing. My uncle was a fan and, and, and I started following college basketball as much as I could. High school basketball from the States, all these recruits. And of course, whatever NBA games I could get. And then the Buffalo Braves came. That was even better. Ernie D. Gregorio, that's the name that always stands out for me there. And I guess, uh, uh, was it uh, Mike? Who was it out of North Carolina? I can't remember the name. Oh, right Bob now. McAdoo. McAdoo, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Bob Kaufman. I mean, oh, gosh, you know. The games are on once a week, I think, on WIVB and Buffalo Channel 4. And Van Miller did the play-by-play. -play. But you'd see all the visiting teams. You'd see all, you know, the Knicks would be on against the Buffalo Braves. And um, yeah, it was very exciting. They made the playoffs. And of course, people in Toronto started clamoring for a team in Toronto, right? Because there were a lot of franchises that were really on shaky grounds. Cincinnati Royals went to Kansas City, then Omaha, and now Sacramento. I mean, so there were a lot of franchises. And people in Toronto tried to get the money together and the influence together to get a team in Toronto. And what happened was they managed to get a, an exhibition. Uh, no, it was a regular season game 
Lakers and Cincinnati Royals. And that's the first NBA game I went to. January of 1971 at Maple Leaf Gardens. My dad got us tickets. They were good seats too. And it was, uh, this was post Oscar Robertson. He had gone to the Milwaukee Bucks. But it was Johnny Green, who was a great player. Tom Van Arsdale, one of the Van Arsdale twins. Um, really good. Uh, Norm Van Leer was on that team. And they're playing the Lakers. And here's the story. I go down with my dad and my uncle and my brother. And before the game, about an hour before the game, we're through the lobby. And I see Happy Hairston coming out of the special ticket office at Maple Leaf Gardens. Six foot nine, leather coat on. It's Hap Hairston. I know him. And right behind him, ducking under, is Wilt Chamberlain. I'm 15 years old. I go, Wilt, Hap, just like a, a kid would, like, Bleh. and they look at me, and I'm going, uh, 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 how do you like Toronto? <laughs> like, something like that. And Wilt just looks at me and goes, where's the dressing rooms, man? And I just said, come on with me. And I just, I took them down, the two of them down a corridor, and I pointed down there and to the right, and they go, thanks, man. And off they went, and I just, like, if, you know, nowadays I would have taken a picture, a selfie, whatever it was. I was just, that, was, that was it. We watched the game. I, uh, Lakers won. Um, Lakers had a good, an interesting team that year because um, Elgin Baylor didn't play. So it was, it was pretty much Chamberlain and West, but they had Gail Goodrich and they had Keith Erickson and, and Harrison. And uh, yeah, so that was the first NBA game I went to, Maple Leaf Gardens, and a good crowd there too for that game. Well, I, I remember in, in the 80s, my dad taking me to games at Maple Leaf Gardens and Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. I, I did not realize those exhibition games went went all the way back to 71. You know, Hebsy, I think... Oh, no, that was a regular season game, Dan. That oh, was regular season. Oh, yeah, wow. they, the NBA did that a lot. In fact, the Buffalo Braves played quite a few games in Toronto as the Tor Buff Braves over three or four seasons. Maybe a total of, um, I'm going to say, 10 or 12 games in Toronto. Uh, actual NBA games. So people did get you. There was a, you know, there was um, enough. You were close enough to the NBA that you could kind of taste it. But the league was going, you know, the games weren't on um, national television. If they were, they were tape delayed. It was really too bad. The ABA was going on, but nobody got to see those games um, or even highlights of them. There was nothing. You just sort of saw pictures and heard about Julius Irving. So it was pretty interesting times. Well, Hebsey, we almost got an NBA team in Toronto in 1983. If some if some events take place, and maybe there never is a Toronto Raptors, and it, this is when my childhood mind starts kind of conceptualizing what basketball is. And you know, Ted Stepien was the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he was basically considered the worst owner in the NBA. I think there would still be an argument for that to this very day. And he was threatening to move the Cavs to Toronto and call them the towers. What, what can, what do you remember about uh, that, that time? And was it really close did, did we almost have a Toronto towers in 83, 84? No, no. Uh, here, here's the story, Dan. Uh, and I happen to be doing nightly radio in Toronto. I had the only sports phone in show at that time in 82, 83. And so um, once the story came out, I got in touch with Ted Stepien, who at the time was being absolutely lambasted on Cleveland radio by a guy named Pete Franklin. Now, he was on, uh, I think, 3WE, which held the rights to the Cavaliers and Joe Tate, the great Cavaliers play-by-play guy. And we used to listen to those games because Cavs had a good team. Like, they had an interesting team back then. And, so, and we knew about them because we were Buffalo Braves fans. We were NBA fans. And so the idea that we would get the Cleveland Cavaliers was very interesting, except they were a horrible team. 
And this Ted Stepien was the stupidest guy. Like, we could not believe that he was the owner of an NBA team. And this was the problem with the NBA at the time. Credibility. They had a drug problem, too. They had issues. I think even at the time, there was a lot of talk about the referees maybe being on the take, gamblers involved. It was pretty pretty shady stuff. You had some really bad characters amongst owners, a lot of bickering and stuff like that. The television, they weren't getting television money. College basketball was way more popular. But this Ted Stepien, the, the, the stupid, they called him too stupid. TS, too stupid. In Cleveland, this Yutz, <laughs> he, he thought Toronto was some backwater place or whatever. Oh, well, I'll just threaten to go up to Toronto because he had heard, you know, about, I guess, you know, big city and no basketball team, all that stuff. And so um, I made arrangements to get him on my radio show. Uh, and so I, I um, made the arrangements to have him on, started promoting it. And then I get a call from this guy, Pete Franklin, who's the radio, like I say, this wild, acerbic radio host in Cleveland. This is a guy that me and Bob McCowan used to listen to when I was Bob McCowan's radio producer late at night. He would tear strips off of callers. It was great. I wanted to be this guy. And McCowan, McCowan morphed into this guy. McCowan became this guy, Pete Franklin. Very similar. He was acerbic. He was argumentative. He was contrarian. People loved it. They loved calling into this guy. And so he started ranting about how bad the Cavaliers were and this stupid owners throwing away draft choices. I mean, it was a real mess. And this Ted Stepien guy was taking the brunt of it. And he's like, I don't need this nonsense. Nobody's coming out to the Richfield Coliseum. And if you've ever been to the Richfield Coliseum, it's nowhere close to downtown Cleveland. The hell would want to go way the heck out there? Really? It was out in a field somewhere. It was like when they built the Palace of Auburn Hills in the middle of nowhere. And so people didn't come out. They were a lousy team. Anyway, I get this. Uh, Franklin says, I want to I, I wanna call into your show when you've got Stepien because he won't come on my show. So I'm like, sure, whatever. I give him the hotline number. We do the interview. Tell him, Stepien, how are you going to get the team here and whatever? And, oh, I've talked to a couple of people and I know some people and you'd love it here. And I'm going to get a lease from Mr. Ballard at Maple Leaf Gardens. And then I say, we've got a special guest. And Franklin comes on and he starts ripping Ted Stepien. But Stepien doesn't know it's Pete Franklin. He's changed his voice. Hi, Mr. Stepien. And we're listening to this. And I mean, it was hysterical. He cut him a new one. This guy left so humiliated, right? We never heard from him again. And then about a week later in the sporting news, there's this big article that um, recreates what happened on the radio shows. Mark Hebsher, wow. radio host at CKUI, and Pete Franklin, Ted Stepien. And never heard from the guy again. Don't know what happened to him. But it was just a, he was a joke. And the league was a joke because of guys like this. But there was also the, uh, the Continental Basketball Association, the CBA, and the Toronto Tornadoes, which Stepien owned. He owned that team as well. I assume you would have covered in some way the Tornadoes. What, what, was, what was that team like? Did they, did they have any sort of popularity in the city? They did. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, they had Carl Nix, who was uh, Larry Bird's teammate at Indiana State on the championship team. They had a Canadian named Ron Crevier, seven-footer. Uh, quite awkward and, you know, probably your prototypical Canadian seven-footer of the, in the 70s or 80s. Like, you know what I mean, right? The, you know, gang, gangly, uh, you know, maybe Chuck Nevitt. Yeah, Chuck Nevitt, shot blocker, you know. Um, uh, and so, yeah, there was a following, but it was just the games were on the local cable channel. 
they asked me to do some of the games. I, I, you know, I think I did, honest to God, I don't remember. I think I did one or two games that were on like the local cable. I was doing radio at the time, but Russ Salzberg did the games too. And he, he was trying to come up with a cliche, like, you know, so Carl Nix, he'd go, Carl, good, or something like that. It was really <laughs> odd. But anyway, the first interview I did was Phil Jackson, who was the coach of the Albany Patroons. And I, of course, remembered him naturally from the Knicks. Uh, and and um, he was a really good interview. He was really good and he was really friendly. And we went for a beer after the game. Yeah, the Albany Patroons. But he, I tell you what, man, he was at the time, he was as intense as anyone I had ever met when the game was going on. He, I'm, cause I'm sitting, you know, two feet from him courtside and he, he saw everything that was going on. And whoever, I don't even remember who the Toronto coach was, but this guy, Phil Jackson, was miles better than any of these other coaches in the CBA, which I guess, not the development league that, it wasn't a development league, but there were some really good players. And, and there were some good games, except they couldn't find a good place to play. I don't even remember where the games were now. I, honestly, they could have been at the U of T gym for all I Yeah, I was thinking it was Varsity Arena, wasn't it? <sighs> yeah, it was. Yeah. And Varsity Arena was like... Eh. Not a great venue. Yeah, not the, not the best venue. No, any. no, it wasn't. But again, you know, you had your, anybody who was on the playgrounds back in those days, anyone that played high school basketball in Toronto, and not just Toronto, I mean, I think in the whole province, there's a lot of high school basketball. And high school basketball players like basketball, let's face it. And so you had a community, and especially I think Toronto high school basketball is very, very good, very competitive. You also had very competitive at the YMHA the YMCA's I mean, some good local teams, travel teams. So yeah, I think Toronto was, I think Toronto would have been comparable to the way New York city embraced basketball street ball. When it first became popular, New York city is the home of basketball. And I think in Canada, for sure, Toronto going back to about the forties. Cause I know my dad's friends and such played a lot of ball at the YMHA. There's a lot of games against YMCA. There was a good basketball. It's very good. A lot of set shots, of course, and you know those one-hand push shots and stuff. But still, uh, and the NBA or whatever it was called in 1946 debuted in Toronto. The Toronto Huskies against the New York Knicks. Ozzie Schechter scores the first basket in NBA history. No one has any memory of that though. Even like I asked my dad, he goes, "I, I don't remember that at all." Like yeah. I said, "Did they have tickets?" He says, "There was a guy named Ed Sadowski," and he says, "I don't know anything more than that." And my dad was a teenager at the time, and so and he was into what was going on in Toronto, but. Like you said, Dan, I don't even know if it was the, end, the official NBA, whatever it was called. Yeah. So it, it had no um, credibility. Well, what we do know is it will be it will be the 75th anniversary of it this, this fall. So hopefully somebody will do something about it. He- Hebsey, I, I I've been wanting to ask you about Sportsline my whole life. I, I consider it the originator of pro sports TV coverage in Canada. And I think you and others influenced young people to get involved in the sports broadcast industry as a profession, probably in a way that that had been un- unprecedented prior to you. It, it just fe- it felt so out of reach and not like a, a real career in the 80s. Um, but but the show, it, it, it was in touch. It certainly was not as buttoned up as perhaps what we were seeing on, on Hockey Night in Canada, which was probably the biggest show at the time. H- how do you define the legacy of Sportsline? Wow. The legacy of Sportsline. Well, I think the legacy has to begin with McCowan because he started the show. I mean, it ended up being a two-person highlight-driven show, but at the time, Bob started it in November of 1981. 
getting highlights was difficult, almost impossible um, to, to, to re-rack highlights and get them on the show. He, he might have had a couple. I know that they used news services like NBC News, where as soon as the highlights were available, they were packaged up and then they a voiceover announcer, Tom McDonald or whoever, would do it for NBC or ABC. And then it'd be available late at night. You could you could take that and put it on your show. But that was innovative because who would stay up for half an hour, a half an hour of sports at 1130 at night was considered to be ridiculous. Right. And of course, these are the same people who said Johnny Carson would never make it or this wouldn't work. I mean, you know, but think about it. I mean, taking a chance like that was just, you know, people didn't do it, especially in Canada. You didn't do stuff like that. And so um, I guess it, it evolved into something where, I mean, when they hired me, they said, well, we're doing the, you know, have you seen the show Sports Night? Sure, I watch it every night. Well, we were thinking of doing a two man show, you know, Jim Taddy, and I knew Jim pretty well. He knew who I was. And I'm doing talk radio i'm doing pretty outrageous off the cuff stuff and i'm getting sued by phil esposito for slander and i'm getting um banned from maple leaf gardens for burning tickets in front of maple leaf gardens some real bad bad stuff oh. you know it was bad stuff because the leafs were horrible right and the blue jays were a bunch of idiots they couldn't get beer in the stands and they were you know they had baseball had, had a strike in 81 and there was just a lot of crap going on and I was an angry, you know, young sportscaster who had a, a talk show. And, um, and this is what I miss about talk radio now is I want to hear from the fans. I don't want you reading a text from somebody because no matter how you read it, it's not going to, I need the emotion. I need to hear the person's voice. So if they go, um, um, and they drop an F-bomb or whatever it is, not that we would encourage that. I want that. I don't want something that's, you know, on, done from a keyboard. I want to hear that person's voice. And so in those days, you would hear the voice. You, you would hear a guy in the background. See, the guy would say, listen to me. Listen to this. That's me banging my head against the wall. Because the, like that kind of a thing. You'd hear that, which doesn't come out in a text. And so this is the type of, um, like this type of radio, people got excited, right? Like people, there was no cell phones. They Guys would get off the road and call from a pay phone. Mark, this is what I think about so-and-so, right? Nobody had, you'd have to go home or you'd have to go from a pay phone. And so this excitement, this bill, and you know, whatever was going on, there'd be Vox Populi. Okay, who wants to talk about this? And people would get on board and you would know now that guy's a basketball fan. Wow, that guy knows his stuff, right? Well, that guy's talking U.S. college basketball. All this stuff was great. Fantastic. Now they say, well, you want to come on to sports line? I said, yeah, but I got to tell you, man, I can't do that stuff like read scores and, you know, I won't do that. I like what I'm doing here. They said, well, we'll give you, you know, twice what you're making in radio. And I was making a pretty good buck. And I was like, hmm, okay. But it's still, you know, and they said, look, you're just the two of you guys and you're going to, we're going to highlights and blah, blah, blah. I knew Jim and he, Jim was at city TV and he did some pretty funny stuff at city. It's some pretty, you know, offbeat stuff that they would do at City TV. And he had a good sense of humor and he had a great laugh. And so it evolved into, you know, okay, here's these highlights. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to go. Like, if you notice on highlights, I'm not going to say, all right, here's where the Rangers score the winning goal, where they, where they bury the, they, they blow the lead. You want to watch it to see what happens. I don't want to see a highlight saying, and here's where the Jays win it before Vladdy actually hits the home run on the highlights. So we would do it or I would do it like, all right, here's the pitch. There's a drive to deep left field. That ball's gone. Right. And there'd be a time where I'd say there's a dream and the guy would catch it. So you're sort of doing kind of a play by play. And this was, people didn't do this. They would say, you know, um, 
however, you know, and uh, then in the fourth, the Jays take the lead, which, you know, take, don't tell them it takes the lead, let them figure it out on their own that type <laughs> of a thing. So that was fun. And I would add expressions like, you know, for basketball, like nobody ever heard basketball voiceover. And I'm like, you know, Dunkaroo and slam jam. And, you know, reminds me of uh, five slam a jamma and what people are going, but the ones who got it, got it. The ones who got it, got it. And that's what we wanted. Uh, we're not explaining this. If you got it, great. If you can figure it out, terrific. If, if that's you and the music that we're playing on the show and you're digging the whole vibe, great. So it evolved into like a variety show with sports where it's two guys yakking away, having fun. Music and bumpers was cool. The music on the voiceover, no one else did that. Everybody else would leave, would leave the, voice, um, um, the voiceover on the tape, but in the background while Joe Tilly or whoever was doing the, the voiceover. I, I said, no way, man. Who wants to hear some the announcer's original voice? Strip that. Let's put music in there. Do our own shit. Excuse my language. But anyway, so it evolved into this cult type of show, wild show where Jim and I didn't realize the reach that the show had. We knew that Global was an Ontario network, but we thought people from Ottawa would watch the local Ottawa station, CJOH or CBC in Ottawa. We had no idea that they're watching Global out of Toronto. And so Jim and I did this gig, corporate gig once, where we go up to Ottawa during Winterlude and uh, we do some stuff, whatever. And then, um, and then at night we went out for a bite to eat and the least Habs game happened to be on TV that night. We said to the guy at the restaurant, where's a good place to go watch the game? And he told us a place and I swear to you, we walk in 15 minutes before game time. And as we walk into this place, the whole bar stops. Everybody stops what they're doing. And they look at, at the door and Jim and I, are, and I'm looking at Jim and I'm saying, Oh, I think they know who we are. <laughs> and guys are coming up to us. They want to buy us drinks. It was, it was crazy. We had no idea. And we said to them, do you guys watch global? Are you kidding? Every night at 1130, they're telling us they all get together at this guy's place or that guy's at Friday nights are a special thing. They get a case of beer. They get an ounce of weed. They watch the show. They tape it. They talk about it the next day. We had no idea. None whatsoever. And that was, you know, that's when your ego gets the best. You're going, wow, this many people are watching and emulating or taping the show. So that was really cool. And then from there, like it just, you know, took off for about a decade or so. And it was good stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the way you describe your performance and the style of the show, it, it reminds me more of what ESPN Sports Center became more so than what the Canadian late night wrap up shows became. But I, I find it interesting now to look back on your career that you made the move to, to CTV Sports Center in 1999. And that's where I worked with you, as well as producer Dan Wong. We're mm -hmm. all alums of the old CTV Sports Net. Right. My question for you on this is the fact that it took 15 years or 14 years for Canada to get a second national sports channel how did that change the game of sports coverage in in canada really yeah i think that was the beginning of the end of local sports coverage there i think once sportsnet got rolling and people knew where they could get other sports information and of course you had to have the rights to certain games and stuff like that which helped i i just you know Local sports suddenly became like, how are you guys going to cover something when here's rights holders over here that also are running multiple versions of 
sports desks, sports centrals. I forget what the, the names were guys help me with, you know, whatever they were called. Central. Yeah. Uh, and the, the best example I think is when I started there, um, I was doing four versions of the same show every night. I was doing the early evening mm-hmm. sports. What was it called then guys? Uh, sports, sports central, sports central. No, no, it wasn't. Sports it wasn't. Central then. No, it wasn't called sports net central. Sports net Pacific. Sports net news. Okay. okay. I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I, I think I, honest to God, I, I, it wasn't Sportsnet. It was something else. It wasn't called Sportsnet. I think it was called Sportsnet News. <laughs> honest to God. But anyway, so my responsibility, and I didn't know this till I started there. I wasn't, Scott Moore never told me when he hired me. I mean, I was, I had certain assumptions. You're going to you know, be the early evening anchor, but also you're going to set up the games that we had because, because we had rights. We had, you know, especially out West, we had the Oilers. We, I think we had the Flames. We had the Canucks. So we were always doing these hits with, with the, the Sportsnet guys out there. Craig Simpson was out there and, and uh, Dan Robson. What, uh, I, I don't remember. Craig so, McEwen. Craig McEwen, right. So I'm doing four versions. So we're doing an early evening sportscast. So the first one we do is for sports is for Sportsnet East. So it's Montreal Canadiens based or there were no expos in those days. It was Montreal Alouettes based or it was Eastern Canada based like Ottawa and East type of thing, but not Ottawa. So we would do that at 6 p.m. And then immediately we would turn it around at 6.30 and do the Ontario, Toronto, Ontario version. Leafs, Jays, whatever, Raptors, whatever the lead was, right? And so... So do, so now you're doing back-to-back shows, except the lead is different. The rest of the show is pretty much the same. You're doing the same throws. You know, maybe one was already recorded on the early one, and you they the, they plop it in there. And then it was like, all right, now. Um, and then we had to record after a couple of promos or whatever. And then it was like, okay, go for dinner for an hour. So I would go in the CTV building. I would go and have dinner with Lloyd Robertson and Dave Duvall every night because they were off at the same time as I was, which was from seven till about eight thirty. Right. But yeah, about seven to eight, actually, or, you know, they had done their pre-tapes, whatever. And so we'd have dinner and talk about it. And then I would go back. And then at 830 Eastern time, which is 630 uh, in the West, I did Sportsnet West, the anchor that half hour show, which was either this was the worst Calgary or Edmonton based or Winnipeg or if it's a CFL Regina. So the producer had to figure out what's our lead story even though the producer's not living out there and what kind right. of a region is Sportsnet West? It's the prairies and, and, and Alberta and Edmonton and Calgary. So we had to do a sports cast, the same one with a different lead for that. And then at nine 30 PM Eastern six 30 Pacific, we did the Vancouver BC version of it. And by then we had early highlights from NHL or NBA games. So that sports cast was much more um, highlight heavy, Right even though it was only going to the Pacific region. So every night I did four full sports casts of which the last two for sure. But the last one was more highlight heavy, right? Second period of this game, second quarter of that game, fourth inning of this game. Holy cow. So now that I think of it, I was burned after a year doing four shows a night. I can, I can imagine. And I remember being an associate, I wasn't even an associate producer. I was the, like the highlight jockey. It, it was a lot of live television going out there. Incredible well, amount. Hebsey, we're, we're going to take a break. Um, incredible to go back and, and listen to your thoughts on your career and the, the landscape 
of Canadian sports broadcasting. Um, we're going to take a break, but when we come back on Jim Rats and Joints, I want to talk to you about what happened in the NBA playoffs last night and what we're seeing going forward as I think the finals are about as wide open as they can be, at least in the West. More Jim Rats and Joints with Mark Hebsher right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, if there's one thing that I love to do in the spring and as we head into the summer, it's talk about the NBA playoffs the morning after with my friends. And Tuesday night, I think we finally got a real barn burner of a game. This is Jim Rats and Joints, the podcast, joined by Mark Hebsher, producer Dan Wong. And we saw a double overtime game uh, last night that people are going to remember for a long time. The Denver Nuggets hold on barely to win 147-140 over the Blazers. They take a 3-2 lead in the series. Dame Lillard, the double nickel, 55 points on only 24 shots. He hits an NBA playoff record 12 threes in 17 attempts. But on the Denver side, Jokic goes for 38-11-9. Game six is Thursday in Portland. Hebsey while you were watching Dame do what Dame does, what were you thinking? First of all, I always liked Damian Lillard. I think as a stand-up guy, never mind a great basketball, he could have been, he could be a mediocre basketball player, and I would still really like him because everything I've read about him, interviews, he's thoughtful. He just donated a million dollars to a hospital in uh, the Philippines. It just seems like a genuine guy. So I root for a guy like this. I'm not particularly a Portland Trailblazers fan. But I'm a Damian Lillard fan. And so I think it was great. And I mean, that one where, um, who was it, missed the second end of a, of a, a the second free throw with and allowed, you know, instead of making it a two-possession game. And the way he came down and just like that step back three to tie it was unbelievable. I, I loved it. Loved it. And do you think Portland has a chance to keep going? I, I've had Denver in seven. The basketball is too good. I have no skin in the game. So just show me yeah. more great basketball. Yeah. Well, it'll it'll be interesting to, to see what happens. And, you know, we were talking off air before we started the podcast today about Jamal Murray not being there for Denver. But it looks like the Nuggets have found a, another weapon in Michael Porter Jr. He's, he had one really bad game, I think, in game four. But otherwise, he's been terrific in the series. Scored 26 points, 12 rebounds. And Denver just with Jokic, they seem to have this, this weaponry that can get things done for them. He, he, he had that, that one uh, skip pass to the corner. I, I think it was to Porter for, for a clutch three. Um, I mean, it's got to remind you, of, I mean, people are talking about him being maybe the best passing big man in, in league history. And I know Wilts led the league in assists one year, but that was intentional, right, Hebsey? Yeah, yeah. Will decided he uh, he had won his scoring championships. It yeah. wasn't his game anymore. 
Uh, he was getting tired of stuff and they were fouling him all the time and hacking him and he didn't want that stuff. So he, he would play more of a high post and he was a, and, and he was a great passer. I mean, he imagine the, a guy with a wingspan like that, palming the ball, putting it in your face and then flipping it over his shoulder to happy Harrison for a layup or, I mean, he was really, he, he wanted to be the best passer in the game. All right. He was bored. He could score. I mean, yeah, but he, and he could block shots, but he wanted to be a great passer. So he developed into a really good passer, smart passes, bounce passes when you needed to make a bounce pass. Right. Uh, and just, yeah, yeah. He was really terrific. He loved that. Grab the rebound, two handed pass, you know, 30 yards, you know, a bullet down the court to start a fast break or, you know, the, the outlet or whatever. And sometimes he'd like, he liked to run the court too. Because <laughs> he was a high jumper and a hurdler in high school. And when he would run, and he had bad knees late in his career. But man, if you look at some of the stuff that he did early on, or with the Harlem Globetrotters, oh my God, he could fly. He was like the 220 state champion in Pennsylvania. So imagine seven feet and 300 pounds coming at you at full speed. Get out the way. <laughs> Get out the way. But yeah, Joe, um, uh, Jokic is, uh, I love watching Sabonis. I used to like to watch. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. A big man with a touch. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, to me, passing is the true creative artistry of basketball. Doing something off the basket to, to make an easy two points for your teammate is to me, that is, that is the beauty of basketball. The, the other series that really is, getting headlines now is this Phoenix Lakers series. Anthony Davis is out uh, the groin injury on, I guess it was Sunday. I guess it was Monday. And now um, the Lakers are going to have to play again on Thursday. I don't see how he can play uh, LeBron James really not at that Zenith of, of level of play that we've seen from him. And in game five, the Suns win 115, 185. That game was over by the second quarter. Devin Booker's averaging 26 in the series, but now Chris Paul might have an injury. Um, he might've re-aggravated the shoulder. So this is becoming a war of attrition. Um, I doubt you watched the game, Hebsey, because I didn't. The, the Denver I watched the first, yeah, I watched the first bit of it, but without Anthony Davis, who, by the way, the best nickname in sports now is Charles Barkley calls him street clothes Davis because he always sees him in street clothes. And, and when he said it last night on the panel, I was like, whoa, Charles, wow, man. But he's right. He's right. I mean, Anthony Davis is like Bill Walton was. He, yeah. He's exactly the same. Big man, unbelievable talent, always getting hurt. Okay? He can only land, listen, you can only put however many pounds he weighs on those legs so often. That's incredible pounding. And if you're not built for it, and it's, you're always reconstructing that, it's just never, ever going to be you know, and you know, he's not, he's not the first and he's certainly not the last, but you know, he reminds me of Walton when Walton was on and healthy, he was unbelievable, spectacular, dominant. And Anthony Davis is the same player, but he's street clothes Davis. So the Lakers can't win without Anthony Davis. That's the way I look at it. Well, and another, another smart thing that Barkley said was, you know, LeBron and Davis were suffering from injuries at the end of the year. They weren't playing a lot of minutes. They weren't in rhythm. They weren't, you know, they might be fit compared to guys like us, but going up against these conditioned NBA athletes who are now six months into a season, right. they're miles ahead and it, it opens the doors to injuries. But you know what? If Chris Paul doesn't play in game six, the Lakers might get another shot. And then 
maybe Davis mysteriously comes back for game seven. I don't know. But right now, to me, the Lakers look dead and no AD, no ring for the Lakers. Let's move on to uh, one series that did finish last night. The Nets beat the Celtics 123-109. They win the series 4-1. Hebsey, the big three are averaging 85 points a game. That's Durant, no, no one's ever done that before. And that's ridiculous. Insane. Ridiculous. It's that's ridiculous. What three? I mean, think of the great threesomes. Nobody's come close. 85 points between three of them in a series. That's nuts. Yeah. I think they take out Milwaukee. I think they take them out. I mean, I, I'm surprised they even lost to Boston one game. They Same. should have just swept them aside. They're so good. The thing is, Hebsey, the Bucks are playing well right now. Yes, they are. And they've learned their lessons. I, I, I've had the I've had the Nets winning the NBA this year from day one, and I still think that. But I do think I think Milwaukee's gonna give them a little bit of a challenge. Here. Oh, they'll give them a challenge, and I expect it. Look, that might be the best series. Listen, whoever the finalists are for the championship, I, I got to believe that this matchup here might be the best of all the playoff matchups. Yeah, really yeah. good because you. I mean. The, the big three have got to be at their absolute best. And I mean, man, Milwaukee, you're right. Milwaukee's knocked on the door enough times. They've been there. They're playoff hardened team and they got to get by these guys, but man, Brooklyn, like Steve Nash doesn't have to do anything as far as I'm concerned. Just <laughs> well, make sure everybody gets along. Do your thing. You're good at that. You're good at that. You're good at that. Our defense is pretty good. Just nice stay game. healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's the Bucks for me, Hebsey, remind me a little bit of the Blue Jays in the 80s. You know, making the playoffs, yeah, yeah. hard knocks. Yeah, this close. You you're so close, but you just can't break through. And now they're, they're in a situation where you just have to play against a juggernaut. It's, it's unlucky for Milwaukee that the Nets fell to second because I, I think the Bucks would handle the 76ers. <laughs> oh, I think so too. But and I, I think you raise a good point. I mean, this is definitely one versus two in the East, possibly one versus two in the league if the Lakers, if the Lakers aren't at, at full health or mm -hmm. at full speed. So, you know, I, I think this is going to be a great series, but I, I definitely have the Nets winning it probably in six. Yeah, I would uh, I would say that's a good call. I mean, Milwaukee, you never know. You know, things can happen, but uh, as it stands now, I think Brooklyn's the better team. I think yeah. they've proven that, you know. 85 points from two, from three guys and a reliable 85 points. I mean, they're they're all going to score 30. Harden could be scoring 50 if he if he really wanted to right now, but he's the he's the facilitator. You know, uh, the the series that didn't play last night that gets back to it tonight um is Dallas and Clippers and to me, this just shows you how the teeter-totter of sports, right? The it. Clippers looked dead down 0-2. Raptors Twitter was going off on Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, why is that, I wonder? I guess there, there's just some bitterness there. I, I Like he should have stayed. Like it's like, had you stayed with us, well, had he stayed with us, he'd be miserable because he he'd be stuck in Tampa or whatever, wouldn't even have a... Anyway, that's... Right. that's but I don't like that when I don't like it. Although I get it. I get it. People get um, um, it's sort of perverted sense of, you know, um, satisfaction. If their team's out of it and it's got nothing to do with their team, but a guy who used to play that they should have stayed, they can take out their anger on, on Kawhi. And that, that's, you know, 
you know, oh, you're down 0-2. Well, you should have stayed in Toronto. He wanted to go home for crying out loud. Don't you get that? He wanted to go home to, to, to LA. That's it's got nothing else to do with it. He doesn't hate. He wants to go home. And he had this one opportunity in his career as an unrestricted free agent coming off an NBA finals MVP. Everyone knew he wanted to go back to Southern California. He, what he brought to Toronto and Canada and the Raptors in that year is immortalized forever. I will all be forever grateful to what he did. I have absolutely no bitterness towards Kawhi Leonard at all. And I, I hope I, I've been hoping for a Clippers Lakers West finals oh, yeah. my whole life. I know. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I, I think the Clippers now they might start, they state might be emerging as the favorite, but you know, it's all going to come down to Luka Doncic's health. Yeah. It, it's still early in the playoffs too. I mean, lots of stuff can happen. Like you say, Anthony Davis could come back like, you know, crutches and then it's Willis Reed and he returns to glory. Who knows? There've been enough stories told enough stuff that's happened in the NBA playoffs, any play, any sports playoffs for that matter, where you can't take anything for granted. We're like, it's, it's almost like nothing can surprise you. An eight C takes out a one C nothing can surprise you. It's just, you got to play the games. It's beautiful. Right. It's absolutely, it's my favorite time of the year. And we're it's getting great. back to seeing fans in the stands. So the other thing is, is that the idea that, you know, next year we're going to see the Raptors like up close, we're going to actually be able to see these guys. Uh, same, maybe the Blue Jays this year in September, maybe, you know, the Leafs 550 workers, people got to see that thing. But yeah, that's exciting because I don't remember what that was like. In fact, I've already booked my trip for next March to spring training for baseball because that may be the first wow. opportunity we get to see any of our favorite teams. You know, so we've I've booked it. We're going to Dunedin because, you know, I'm I'm a fan. And now for the first time in my life, I can actually be a fan and not have to worry about any um, media obligations, job obligations. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it look, it's going to be so nice to to see fans in the stands, to participate as a fan, to, to feel that excitement for me more for concerts than for sporting events. Yeah, me too. Oh yeah. What, who's the first band you're looking forward to seeing when, uh, when life gets back to normal? Uh, Los Lobos would be one. Um, I would love to see the tragically hip if they ever decided to do any type of tour or anything with uh, Leslie Feist, uh, singing some of the Gord Downey parts. I know they're all rehearsing right now. They're in Kingston rehearsing for the Junos. So they're going to do at least one song with Leslie Feist. So, I mean, I would love to. I think it would be great. I think it would be a beautiful, you know, tribute to Gord Downey and, you know, their music and everything like that. They're a very talented uh, bunch of guys. So that that would be amazing. I mean, there's no plans, but you can always dream. But yeah, I want to see my buddies in Los Lobos and... Um, well, I don't know. I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter, Dan. I, I, I just live music. Yeah. Give me live music. Yeah. I, I said Anything, to someone, anywhere down. I, I live near the Dakota town. I'll go over to the Dakota. Whoever's playing. It doesn't matter. Live music. I live near the Dakota. I never saw you there. Are you kidding? I, I go to all the, uh, whenever they'd have that stones tribute band. Oh, I haven't seen that band. Oh, I mean, it's not as good because the electric guitar player left. Oh, that's too bad. It, no, it's last, a, it's, it's a bit more band. acoustic. It's great. Yeah, the last band I saw in there, I saw there was um, um, the Ghost of Paul Revere. Fabulous band from uh, Portsmouth, Maine. Okay. Really good band, like very um, diversified, excellent. And um, who else have I seen there? 
Oh, just lots of shows. Anyway, you let me know. I'm living in, I'm in Little Italy. Okay, good. All right, we're going to the Dakota as soon as Beautiful. it opens. Excellent. I mean, that to me, not, not to get too far into the weeds here, but I, I love what they did, what they do there in terms of their programming. Like it's, we're going to give you cover bands. We're going to give you musicians who know how to play their instruments. And it's really just about having the good time. And there's no pretense to it whatsoever, if right. you can get in. Dan, the last time I saw you was in a club, was it not? My son was doing some emceeing, stand-up comedy, bartending, giveaway stuff. That we were waiting for a friend. I came, I, uh, I came over and said, hi, you were waiting for a friend or whatever. But I'm, I, I believe that that was a live music venue as well. A small, a smaller little. Well, those are the ones I prefer. Place. Right. I love those Absolutely. places. Grab a seat, grab a drink and listen to some local uh, talent. Yeah. Nice. I, 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 that is ringing a bell because I was going to raise with you the first time I met you. And I believe it was 94 and you were hosting uh, a charity event called the battle of the brains. Yeah, that was fun. And my, my recollection of it is that uh, it was game seven of a leaf series. I think against right. San Jose sharks. It was. That's right. The night of the, that's right. And, and and I was getting running, getting the scores or something. What was, I going was on? my job you were. was to bring you updates. <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> now, do you remember who was at the table with me that night? Al Waxman. Wow, the king of Kensington. Yeah. So what happened was Al Waxman had just at the time he had just gotten um, a script for a role in Net Worth, where he's supposed to play Jack Adams, the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. And he's telling me about this. And I said, I met Jack Adams. My uncle used to manage the Hamilton Forum and the Hamilton Red Wings. And I met him. I was a little boy and I remember him distinctly. He reeked of alcohol and perspiration. His eyes were glassy and pink, right? He was a known alcoholic. He had a high squeaky voice, squeaky high voice. I was just a kid. And I just, and he was unkempt. He was dirty and he was, his fingernails were dirty and whatever. And then later on, like later as I got older, I, you know, I remember I said, that was Jack Adams. He was the general manager of the, you know, Gordy Howe, Ted Lindsay, whatever. And I remember telling Al Waxman this and he's intent because he's going to play the part. And, um, he, oh, thanks for that. And then he called me another time. He says, and what? He asked me a few other questions about Jack Adams because nobody that he knew knew had ever met this guy before. And so I told him what I knew, what I remembered, my recollections. And then when I saw him play the part, he was perfect. He was brilliant. His voice had this squeaky high and he played the part beautifully. And I was like, wow. Well, you, should, you should have got a consultant credit. No, 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 no. But, he, <laughs> but we won that night, Battle of the Brains. And it was because of Al and Sarah Waxman. Man was a fund of knowledge and she brilliant too. So we won it all. I think we won the first prize. I still have the little acrylic um, little <laughs> trophy. <laughs> That's amazing. That's funny. 94. So Hebsey, I want to uh, stay in the, the historical mode here. And I want to do something that I like to call the game. I'll never forget. Yes. I might have subscribed to basketball digest as a young boy. And that might've been a title in that magazine. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear your memories it's not too long ago 2019 we're, we're almost at the two-year anniversary of it it's it's hard to believe but it was game six the night the raptors won the nba championship the parade was three days later i i would love to hear your memories that you carry from that day those days okay well the, the, the i mean the game itself of course i mean i wanted it to end it took forever to end it was just unbelievable i was at my friend jake gold's house 
the manager of the Tragically Hip. And uh, uh, we had a great you know, hooping and hollering. And then when I drove home, I drove through the sea of people at every corner, just coming up to the vehicle and honking horns. And it was so spontaneous and so great and so unexpected. The release of, <clears throat> excuse me, of love was amazing. Was, what a buzz. I was up the whole night. It was just great. The next morning, I had to record my podcast, which I do. I did then from the Toronto Mike Studios. You have to excuse me. My brother's here to play pickleball, and I have to tell him to wait. Oh, okay, not to worry. He's just he's, <laughs> yeah. sorry about that. So anyway, um, so the next day I have to do this podcast. So I, I, I always ride in the nice weather. I always ride my bike. It's about fifteen kilometers. It's a beautiful ride right along the Martin Goodman Trail along the lakeshore. So I'm riding my bike. It's the next morning. I know we're talking Raptors because they just won the championship, right? Uh, a couple of days earlier. And the parade is that day. It's a Friday morning, right? So I get out there. We talk Raptors and all that. And then Mike and I decide that we're going to ride back and catch the beginning of the parade at 1030 in the morning, right? It was the start time, leaving the Princess Gates to go eastbound on Lakeshore, I don't know why they chose this route all the way up, whatever. And so we get there and they haven't started yet. They're arranging this parade and Lakeshore Boulevard is fairly wide. I'm going to say three or four lanes wide. <clears throat> and the motorcade of Raptors and, and, you know, vehicles is not that wide. It's single file. So everyone's standing on the sidewalks. There's no barriers. Remember, there's no steel barriers at all for crowd control. They're coming out of the Prince's gates. They're going to just, there's a little jog there and they're going on to Lakeshore and everyone's standing on the sidewalks. And I'm there with Toronto Mike. And I'm going, what the hell's all this? Screw this. I'm going to stand on the sidewalk. I'm going to be 25 feet from the thing. So I walk right almost into the middle of the road with Mike. And I put down my backpack. I've already locked my bike up against the fence somewhere. Put down my backpack. And that's where I'm standing. I'm standing right there. Mike and I are there. Now there's some people on the other side of the road and they're like, there are no barriers here. What are we standing here for? And they decide that they're, a few of them decide that they're going to walk onto Lakeshore Boulevard 20 or so feet in. And pretty soon now everyone's going, hey. And now people are now surging to the front of the new line, not standing on the curb. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, right on. Now the parade starts. Okay. So everyone goes by. It's great. It's fabulous. We're having a good time. The crowds are swarming. But after the last vehicle leaves, me and Mike decide that we're going to follow them all the way, or for a while anyway. And everyone else goes, yeah, let's do that. So we're at the back. So now the crowd is now surging to the back of the line. And now, now you're having problems. There's no crowd control. There's no barriers. And the people who have just seen the parade go by Many of them have decided to continue on and follow it. <laughs> Mike Thanks and I get that. Mike and I get out of there, right? I think I get out of here now. It's getting too crazy. <clears throat> we get out. He goes home. I go home. I watch it on TV. I'm going, holy. <laughs> I'm watching all this going. I, and Mike says to me, he says, you were the one, like you started this. If you wouldn't have gone out there, everyone just would have stood on the, and been respectful and let them go by and whatever. I said, okay, well, here you go. So I started that. So that nonsense was me, was me right. refusing to stand on the side of the road and to be 20 feet away, no barriers. And remember the pride parade was that year, the pride parade, they had barriers up all up young street. Any of those, cause they didn't want people surging onto the street. 
but there were no barriers for this one. And it was a long haul all the way up to city hall. Right. Yeah. Well, that was my fault. So I apologize for that, but I had to get up close. I had to see those guys up close because I may never again. And I wasn't there for the 67 Stanley Cup. Although I was there for a couple of great cup parades. They were good. Okay. This, was, this was totally different. Well, I guess I'm going to accept your apology, but I was the one who had to be in the world feed truck from <laughs> 8 a.m. till 4.30 live. Uh, no bathroom breaks, just live for at when oh, are they almost here? Are they almost here? It, it was uh, it was, it was a hell of a day. I, I, I haven't really I haven't really told my story that day, but that was one of the longest days, uh, one of the longest days of my life. Hebsey, um, I can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us today. It was so great to see you, to talk to you, and to hear, you know, your stories in the in your career in sports broadcasting here in Toronto, but also some real historical perspective um, in in basketball and basketball's place in this city and things that sometimes get forgotten or or are not even known, um, but I think they have a they still play a huge part in where the sport has gone today. So I just, uh, I thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. And shout out to George Routens, my uh, first basketball hero. If it wasn't for George Routens, I don't know if I would have had the same interest in the sport. That wraps this episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Jim Rats and Joints is, is written and hosted by yours truly, Dan Gladman, and produced by the amazing Dan Wong. Thank you to Eggplant Studios. Hope to be in there very soon. Special thanks to my guest, Mark Hebsher, for spending so much time with us. Check out his podcast and YouTube show, Hebsey on Sports, and follow him on Twitter at Hebseyman. Thanks to Jesse Mosco for the rock and roll music that rolls throughout the podcast. Thank you to my cousin, Dana Gladman, for the artwork. You can follow Dan Wong on social media at Dan Wong Says. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DG on the Road. Jim Rats and Joints is on Twitter at Jim Rats Podcast. Follow us, engage, tell your friends, rate and review whenever you listen. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.